so much for every expression of your hearts through which I and my family have gone these past days and it's a privilege to lead in prayer at this time would you join me please Lord you have given to us of your spirit And we are grateful for every circumstance that we find ourselves having each day, each week. It's by your grace that we function. May our spirits, Lord, maintain touch with you. Help us to understand how you communicate with us, Lord. We don't always know, but we learn as each day unfolds before us. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we're here today to worship you, Lord, may we be listening, observing, experiencing. gospel of Jesus Christ be real to us today and every day of our lives with you, Lord. In the name of your Son, Jesus our Savior, we pray. Amen.
a servant. I hope that is your prayer today, followed by sweet, sweet spirit. And aren't we glad that we have a church with that sweet, sweet spirit because of God's love for us. Make me a servant. Oh. 
Ruthie, thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 2, the same passage that we were looking at last Sunday, but there's more to unpack. We've been talking about a church that feels like home, 
And Paul wrote the church at Ephesus in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself the chief cornerstone. Understand what it's saying. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. These are Gentiles who have come to know Jesus Christ. And so he says, you're no longer foreigners, strangers, but you as Gentiles who have come to know Christ, he says, are fellow citizens with God's people, talking about the Jewish people, and now you are part of God's own household. Completely different mindsets, different environments of how they grew up different views on things they were different in all ways and yet paul says now you're also members of god's household let's pray together father thank you for our time together and i pray that it will be fruitful i pray we'll be listening i pray god that you will speak to us boldly, affirm us in the areas where we are doing well. Challenge us and convict us in areas that we could do better as a church, a place that could feel like home for not only your household, but Father, for those that we are striving to communicate the gospel to. And I pray, God, that we will do exactly what you ask us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Dr. Glenn Saw uh, sent me something this week. He told me Sunday, and then he sent it to me this week, a line that he picked up several years ago concerning home. He said, or he wrote, Home is a place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. <laughs> I asked our staff on Monday, <coughs> I asked them, what came to mind? What are the words that come to mind whenever, whenever you think about home? Their responses were these, joy, engaging with people that come, comfort, family, parents, childhood memories, laughter, happiness, eating, nurturing, peace, always accepted, and the last, fried chicken. You know whose that one was? That was mine. <laughs> Home. For most of us, it presents a welcome emotion, a reflection of the past. Not to everyone, but to most people. That's the way it is. According to research, there are six main qualities that are discovered in strong families in a strong home. And personally, I believe that they apply to a strong church that wants to feel like a home as well. Those six main qualities are that they are committed to each other, they spend time together, they have good communication, they express appreciation to each other, they have a spiritual commitment, 
and they are able to solve problems in a crisis. Six amazing qualities for strong families. And I think those strong qualities that come in strong families are inclusive in these seven key elements for a church to feel like home. If you remember last week, I communicated three of those seven, that that home, that church, must be God-centered, that it's sacred, and that it meets the needs of people. And if you'll walk with me in this continued journey, let's talk about the last four characteristics, key characteristics of a church that feels like home. The fourth one is that it enhances effective communication. That this body of Christ should have effective communication between its members. Now, in order to effectively communicate to each other within this body of Christ, we must be intentionally at work to have good conversation, which includes an understanding of each other. In other words, it's just not going to happen. We've got to intentionally work at good conversation. That includes understanding of each other, where we're coming from, our backgrounds. And I mean really understanding and respecting each other's differences, including if we have differing vantage points or viewpoints. I think this process allows each person to get to know one another better than you would at any other time, because otherwise it doesn't happen. Frankly, for most of us, we see each other on Sunday morning, and in passing we say, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. And so we think they're fine, and that's the extent of our communication. And what we really need is to get to know one another better, to really be that family, that place we call home where we can dive in and really understand one another, but understand one another with deep respect and not condemnation or judgment. There are some principles, I think, for good, insightful conversation that could help our, our, our congregation communicate on a deeper level, level and get us beyond just that superficial, that idle conversation. And of course, you couldn't do that with everybody in the congregation. You wouldn't want to. But within this body of faith, we should be able to connect with some people that we will call friends, deeper friends, because we have vantage points that are the same, and viewpoints that are different, but enjoy that fellowship because of the common bond we have in Jesus Christ. Now let me preface this by saying that nothing, when you strive to really get to know one another, to have some deep friendships here, it, it would be horrible to be a part of a church that you don't really know people well. You come and worship on Sunday morning, you go home, and if something happens in your life, you don't even know who to call. You don't know who these people are. That's not a family. A family is a family that, that sticks together, that learns from each other. My brother and I, my sister, my sister was 16 years older than I was, so she kind of took care of me the first three years of my life. My brother and I, he's five and a half years older, but, you know, we had great times together. He taught me a lot, and he put a few bumps on my head. So we tangled back and forth, but I tell you what, we're the closest as you can imagine even to this day. But you see, we know each other on a deeper level. I know that in a church life, we don't have all those years with people 
that we have built those relationships with, but we can have the years that we are here building that relationship that is so critical. So let me preface this, that as you begin the process of learning and, and getting to know people on a deeper level within this body of, of Christ, that I would suggest sharing nothing that you don't want shared in public unless you know that person is very confidential. And I'm just going to be transparent here because not everybody within a group like this is going to be confidential. And so you have to pick the folks that you really want to, to share your, your journey with and what has been going on in your life to have that deeper conversation, deeper than just a, hi, it's good to see you. It's good to see you this week. And we'll pray for you for whatever's going on, but you really don't know what's really going on. I, I saw a picture the other day. It, it's beautifully lit with, with this iceberg. And you just see the tip of the iceberg, but under the water, that picture shows it illuminated, and it's huge and beautiful. And most of us just see the tip of the iceberg with people within this body of Christ, but there's so much more, and we need to spend time investigating that. It takes time to find that person or those people who will become your intimate friends and, and people that you can bond together with and be part of this family with. But see, that's what a church is all about. That's what I loved about the New Testament church. From, from the writings that we read, they, they were not perfect. They had all kinds of things that were going on in their personal lives as well as in the church life. And Paul continued to try to write, to try to correct where they were heading and move forward. But one of the things that I always saw was that they, most of those churches tried hard to love one another on a deeper level. They were committed to each other. You want to be able to enjoy the folks that you're around. And not just check off the box that I was at church on Sunday morning. Whatever you share in confidence, let me just say, should remain in confidence. And I think that's critical because let me just say that confidences that were given to you that are shared to other people, no matter what kind of form it is in, become gossip and hurtful if you haven't received permission to share them. It's sin to God and it's devastating to those who have been hurt by it. I could give you a ask for a show of hands over the years in churches how many of you had had confidences that you gave to somebody else shared i could probably see that there would be a good number of hands that would come up that's not what we desire we always had a, a rule in our household with our kids growing up that you know what whatever's in the kennedy home stays in the kennedy home it was drilled into our our family because those are things we deal with they're not to be out and about Although, I will say that my wife did uh, work in preschool for a lot of years, and uh, it's amazing what preschoolers will tell their Sunday school teacher. <laughs> but I think you get my point. You want to find folks that you can invest in and who will invest in you. People that can be your friends, a group, maybe your Bible study class, maybe a smaller group that can be your friends and that are confidential that you can share your heart with and know that it's going to stay right there. So let's be mindful of that. But let's look at the friends of good conversation. A conversation meaning to go to a deeper level. Time and a sincere desire to communicate and to understand. They are important 
to friendships and to communication. It's important to spend time learning about others. Some people call that investigating, meaning I want to, I want to know everything about you and, and you sharing what your life has been. Not only learning about them, but also informing them of the facts of your personal histories. What, where, what brought you to this place? What kind of things formed your life? The present activities that you're in, plans for the future. Those are things that people that you feel like you're at home with that you share that you communicate with. You should also talk about each other's attitudes and emotional reactions to the things they've learned because uh, most of us have come from somewhere else to this place. And so we have different histories. My wife is from the East Coast. I'm from the Southwest. You know, we look at things differently. Uh, We talk a little differently. (laughs) But the fact is, as you grow deeper in your relationship, we may be from different places, but we can form an incredible, strong home and friendships in the communication. But we need to understand and investigate that, okay, these are people that I can really, I can really understand. I learn about them. They may be different than me. They may have a different vantage point on things. that might be flashpoints in some cases, but you know what? I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to love them. I want to communicate. Once you've learned and been informed, then you're going to be able to understand that person, where they're coming from, why they're saying the things that they are, their likes and dislikes, their strengths and their weaknesses. And this is going to enable you to reach a much deeper level of caring, of sensitivity, and of meaningful conversation. I promise you it will take time, but it's well worth it for the investment. When this takes place, the church is going to be able to feel like home. Not just a place that I see those people on Sunday mornings, but a place where I can engage in ministry, in service. I can find my place to where I I enjoy doing the Lord's work, and at the same time, I enjoy those people, and I can share my heart and know that they sincerely are going to pray for me. The fifth one is it provides fellowship. A church that feels like home not only has effective communication, but also provides fellowship. And fellowship is so important in church. We encourage fellowship in the Bible study classes. We we want them to not only on Sunday morning enjoy their time together, but to engage in fellowship activities that are fun and that provide our mass to come down and our hearts to open wide. I think it meets... It enhances the relationship between uh, individuals, but it also meets an incredible need in the lives of most of us. You see, one of the great needs that people have is to enjoy the company of other people. Not just to be isolated. I think fellowship can take place in any church event. Whether you are working around the church whether you're coming to a potluck, whether you're serving on a committee, whether you're doing a ministry project, whether you're engaged in a Bible study activity, uh, or whether you're engaged in the fellowship between services, those are times, ideal times, for us to fellowship together, to connect together. And it can be fellowship when people feel included and part of what is going on. Included and part of not excluded i think there are three benefits at least three benefits when people fellowship together first they find support for each other 
The writer of Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes 4.10, the first part says, If either of them falls, the one will, be, will lift up his companion. If we're trying to go this on alone, by ourselves or alone, uh, when difficult times come, we don't have anybody beside us. But here we're finding that the writer tells us, listen, the very fact of life is if you have people that surround you, that encourage you, that helps you in your times of trials, but also you're there to help them in their times of trials. That, that is an incredible benefit. They support each other. We should never tire of helping one another, of assisting one another, of encouraging one another, of affirming one another. Second, I think people have someone that they can share with. What a wonderful benefit. Because of our inner desire to isolate ourselves, coupled with uh, the distance between how some of us live, and also busy lives, even as retirees for most of us, people don't normally share and confide in one another. But we can break through that. You see, when we spend time fellowshipping together, we can rediscover the importance of sharing and spending time together in fellowship. It is so critical. Third, we find that there is strength in numbers. Ecclesiastes 4.12 it says, and if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. We find that it's important for us to stand together. Strength in numbers. Spending time and fellowshipping with other believers, it provides strength for making decisions of life. Strength for facing the dilemmas that we face in life, strength for avoiding the deceptions of life, and strength for fulfilling the demands of life. If we have people standing beside us, encouraging us, and us with them, guess what? All of those things that come at us in life, we can share with them, knowing that they're going to be standing beside us and encouraging us every step along the way. Not judging us, not criticizing not saying, well, if you'd have done this or this, but saying, I am here for you no matter what happens. Fellowshiping together is a key element of a church that feels like home. It presents a place of refuge, a, a, a place of support, a place of joy, and a place of strength. This is, this is the kind of place that this home ought to be like to those of us who are members and also as we reach out to the community God has placed us in. The sixth element of a church that feels like home is that it exhibits unconditional love. A church that feels like home is going to have that unconditional love for everybody that they touch. And you remember this unconditional love, it's, the fact is that it is a God type of love, an agape type of love. It says your needs are greater than my needs, so I'm going to meet your needs before I meet my needs. That's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And therefore, <coughs> as his disciples, he tells us, listen, you need to go and you need to help and indiscriminately come beside those fellow believers, those who need help, and help them. You know, that blows away the common mindset of the me generation that says, what's in it for me? Because it's not what's in it for me. It's what I can do to help others. Because when I do that, more times than not, there are going to be people coming beside me to help me. I think it's important that people in the body of Christ feel affirmed by our words. 
How do you do that? How do you affirm somebody in their words? Well, I think you can give verbal compliments. I think you can offer kind and encouraging words to them. I think you can offer those with sincerity and with genuineness, not just a passing, hey, good job. You see, there are people, most of us, in some degree or another, we are investing in the kingdom. We're striving to do all we can with our time and our energy and our effort to allow this ministry and God to use this ministry to touch people's lives. And so it's okay to sit down and write a thank you note and say, hey, I, I tell you what, that was a great job. I think that you ought to do that for the people of this congregation, but I also believe that you ought to affirm them in anything that they do that is honorable. Outside of the congregation as well, of the ministry of this church, people need encouragement. They need to know that as the body of Christ, we love them. And how do we show that love? By affirming what they're doing. Secondly, I think it's important to spend quality time with members within this body of Christ. You know, I think this speaks volumes to them, to each one of us, if you spend time together. Now, that may be a quality of conversation, which allows us to sympathetically listen to those who need to share the burdens of their life. Sometimes we are, we are so much on the clock that we don't take time. We're so busy that we don't take time to, to sit down and to listen to what's going on in the lives of the heart or the burdens of our people. And I will tell you, as a senior adult church, there's a lot of burdens. That we need to take time as the body to sit down and not just interject our thoughts, but to just sit down. And with sympathy, listen to what's going on. And listen with our ears and with our heart. It may be through quality activities as well. Maybe there are times that you realize just sitting down just isn't going to do the, the job. But you know what? We can do things that will encourage others. Whether they're isolated, whether they're feeling down, whether they just need distraction, whatever it is, we come beside them. Man, we can do things like, uh, like playing golf together or going shopping together, doing crafts together, maybe sharing a meal together, uh, going and uh, decorating the church for Christmas. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great one here. You know, just doing things with our members that are quality time. So in the midst of our engaging and doing those kinds of things, those spending time together, expressing our unconditional love. Don't run away. Don't hide. Don't isolate yourself. Engage. Allow yourself the ability to invest in others with love. Third, I think giving gifts is a special way to say to various people in this congregation, you know what, you're on my mind. I, I care about you. I'm thinking about you. You're special to me. You see, I think it is because... Uh, that can be a, a visual symbol of your unconditional love. I'm not talking about going out and buying them a car. <laughs> what I am talking about is just simple gifts, like writing a thank you note or a thinking of you note, sending a card in the mail, sending them an email, calling them, and saying, hey, you know what, how about uh, Tuesday I drop by and let's go to breakfast or lunch. I just want to say thank you. A gift card, maybe. Maybe to Starbucks or some other place. Some place you know they like to go. Just something to say. You know what? I want you to understand that I love you 
in Christ. I'm thinking about you. And I want to make sure that you know it, so that you're not by yourself. But I will tell you this, the greatest gift is the gift of presence, your presence. The greatest gift is the gift of self, that is the giving of yourself to others. Fourth, I think serving others shows your unconditional love. Do you remember the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love. That's the idea of serving one another. We don't come with power and position. We come with a heart that is full of gratitude because of what God has done for us. And, and we, therefore, express that gratitude in caring and loving for other people. I think Jesus is the one who modeled this attribute throughout his ministry the best. Whether it was the time that he got on his knees and he washed the feet of his disciples, a servant's task. If you remember, the scripture says that Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve, even so much as to be the suffering servant. If Jesus, the Son of God, the one who, as that godly counsel, spoke everything into existence out of absolutely nothing, if he felt the need to do that, how much more should we feel the need to do that? Unconditional love, serving others. I want to tell you, a warm feeling permeates the church when people aren't afraid to let others know that they are genuinely special, that we care. It's a powerful vehicle for communicating to others our unconditional love. This is the place where I would ask you, if you're not engaged in more than just Sunday morning, you're missing the opportunity for folks to love you and care for you and get to know you. If you're not engaged, you're missing out on something that God desired with this idea and understanding of fellowship, genuine conversation of unconditional love. And that's what we're called to do. So I, I challenge you, as a congregation who's involved, to do everything you can to show your unconditional love. And for those who aren't as involved, be a part of something that is far greater than yourself because you will be able to have people around you that will lift you up and encourage you and love you. Unconditional love is not always easy. <laughs> Even within the close family relationships, sometimes families, you know, they don't see eye to eye on things, right? But you know what? We have to work at family relationships. It is work to keep your marriage going. It is work to raise children and to be there for grandchildren. It is work to do that. But let me tell you, it's the love is a choice reality. We choose to do that. And that's what we do within this body of Christ. The last, the seventh characteristic of a, of a church that feels like home is that it contributes to the community. 
when a church is healthy, it's going to invest and contribute to the community that it serves. It does not become a fortress trying to keep everything out. It becomes more, as I spoke last week, as a hospital, a place that we open our arms to people who are hurting. A church is strong when that church walks with the Lord, when that church worships the Lord in all ways, when that church becomes a witness of the Lord in the community to which they have been planted. Now, what kind of atmosphere exists in our church? That would be a good question for us. Is, it, is encouragement the basic characteristic of our church, or is it criticism? Is expectancy the dominant mood in our church, or is it despair or apathy? Is faith the foundation of our church, or are we self-reliant? We can do it on our own. You see, we as a church, we must be a church that walks with the Lord by trusting in Him, by obeying His word and His will. And we must worship the Lord through the reading and the studying of His word and applying it to our life. We must be a church that is committed to praying and offers up our, our voice of praise through the singing and through service and ministry and mission in this church. When we do those two things, when we walk with the Lord by trusting and obeying His Word, when we worship Him with every aspect of our being, then we will be the witnesses of the Lord that He desires us to be. Because we're going to be spiritually attuned. We're going to be passionate about those who don't know Jesus, passionate about those in need that we need to wrap our arms around. Because we're listening in depth to what God is saying. Sitting in a waiting room, I noticed a lady over in the corner just in extreme pain. And she seemed cold. And as I was sitting there, there was another lady over here. She was there with her sick brother. But she saw this lady and she took the blanket that she had brought in. And she came over to that lady who was sick and in pain. And she put that blanket around her and said, Here, it gets cold in here. This might help you. I just touched my heart. Because that lady was sick. <laughs> but she saw a need. And she said, this is what I desire to do. Listen, for us to be a witness for the Lord by touching the lost, we need to do that through the communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. That deed probably is even more critical in the community in which we live because they need to understand that as a church, we're real. And as a church, we not only talk about compassion and passionate care, but we actually back that up by our actions. And I will tell you, as I witnessed what happened, people in the community will witness what happens when we put our loving arms around people that are in need and help them and walk them through these difficult times of life. You remember that it was Jesus 
in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that says, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the remotest part of the world. That was Jesus as he ascended into heaven. That was, that was his command. You will be my witnesses. When it's all said and done, it's not really, really about ourselves. We were bought with a price. We're his followers. We're to deepen our relationship with him. And as we walk with him and our relationship with him deepens, what's on his heart is going to be more on our heart. And what's more on our heart is the lostness and the hurt in this world, in this community. You see, this is our Jerusalem. We need to do everything we possibly can to help. James McGinnis stated this. We speak of our homes as castles, belying a fortress mentality that infects Christians. But Jesus, who had no home of his own, welcomed all and dined with all, especially the fringe people. When we make our hearts and home a harbor for the lost, the lonely, and the poor, we become the household of faith. That is a, an amazing, insightful statement. And I think a church that feels like home is going to have a heart and a home that does harbor the lost, the lonely, and the poor. If we want to be a household of faith, as Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, that you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are together with God's people, a household of faith, whose foundation is the apostles and the prophets, where Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. That's our foundation. Those are our roots. That's our heritage. A household of faith that compassionately cares. A church that feels like home is God-centered, is sacred. It meets the needs of people. It has effective communication. It provides fellowship. It exhibits unconditional love, and it contributes to the community. Those are the characteristics, and I wonder... You know, we're surrounded by people who feel isolated. Information is not going to fill the emptiness in their hearts and their souls. Programs and technology many times leave them bored. They're looking for something real. They're looking for a community that shows people everywhere that we are Christ's disciples, and they can see that because we love one another and they see that and they want that they desire to be a part of a family of faith that exhibits that and as we launch into this fall of 2021 i wonder if today you might commit yourself to be a part of fulfilling these seven elements that will make first baptist church a place that feels like home Father, 
as we move into this time of invitation, we just ask you very specifically to help us. Well, Father, while this sermon may not be a rousing sermon, it is certainly a call for this body of Christ to be reflective and to listen and to engage, to show their love for one another, even though we come from different places and, and have a lot of different traits and characteristics and vantage points and viewpoints that, Father, we can unify together under the blood of Jesus Christ and the calling that he has made us to be his witnesses, to love one another, to be the household of faith, the household of God. And I pray that today, God, we would choose to say, yes, you know what, I want to be a part. I certainly... I certainly have the gifts you've given me, and I want to use them. But God, I, I want to be unified as a body as we look to this community so that they can see that we are followers of Christ. We'll deal with all the, the differences in a godly, Christ-like way. But God, the world needs to know that we love one another and that we love them because you first loved us. That's the only way we can do this. And so in this invitation time, I pray that each one of us who are believers in Christ will make that commitment. And Father, whatever adjustments we need to make in our life, that today we would make a commitment to follow through with that as you reveal those to us in the days and the weeks ahead. And I pray that there's, there's anyone here who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that today they would choose to say, yes, I want Jesus. I'm not sure how to do that. But Father, today during this invitation, I pray they would come. And God, I pray for those here today that today might be the day to say, yeah, today I want to join this church. I want to be a part. I want to be an integral part of this community of faith that loves one another. And I want to be a part of serving. And I pray today that there will be decisions made for those that that are on the fringe, that, Father, they would choose to say, yes, God, this is what you want me to do. And I know that you're going to bring fulfillment in their lives. So in this invitation, God, I ask you, through the power of your Spirit, to speak to us. And whatever decisions individually we need to make, I pray we'll make them in this invitation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. Whatever God leads you to do, in your decisions, you come.
think what I would like to do is ask Ruth to play just one more verse. I'd like for you to bow your heads. Just kind of a quiet time between you and God and maybe anything he's spoken to you about today. And you, you and God have this conversation, if you would. Any decision, 